And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Our guest today is Ryan Robertson. Ryan currently serves as the president of Reaching and Teaching International Ministries. Reaching and Teaching is a mission-sending organization that's based here in Louisville, Kentucky, but serves in contexts all over the world. Uh, Ryan is originally from Canada, but he's also a Dallas Cowboys fan. Most importantly, most importantly, Ryan is my friend, and I'm excited for us to have the conversation today. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's good to be here. Uh, that's a great introduction, mentioning Canada and the Dallas Cowboys in the first you got it. You we're got still it. in it. As this is being recorded, we're still in it, Paul. That's right. That's right. All right. I want to start with um, a conversation that I want us to have. I think it's an important conversation that a lot of people have about the topic related to missions. And, and this is near and dear to my heart. And that is the topic of the missionary call. Uh, quick personal testimony to kind of set up the conversation. I went on a mission trip in college. God was doing some some unique things in my heart at the time. I came back and shared with my girlfriend at the time. I said, you know, I, I don't know what God is doing, but he might be leading me to serve overseas. To which she responded, that's interesting, but he's not leading me to do that. Uh, and so that girl is is now my wife, and we don't have time on the podcast to tell that whole story. Uh, but I want us to dialogue. I want us to talk together today about calling in missions. You're the, the president of a mission-sending organization. You also serve as an elder in a local church. You talk to uh, and counsel people all the time who are uh, expressing a passion, a desire to potentially serve overseas as a missionary. So, Ryan... How do you think through the term missionary calling? Do you think there is a missionary call? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question uh, or two there. I, I do think there's such a thing as, as a quote-unquote missionary calling. Uh, we've taken at Reaching and Teaching to call it uh, a missionary assignment. Uh, and I'll, I'll splice that out for you in just a, a couple minutes. But I, I think there, there is such a thing as, as someone being assigned by the Lord to do meaningful work uh, overseas in the area of missions. The reason we use the word assignment is I think that sometimes when we think of the word calling uh, within Christian circles, it becomes this kind of supernatural feeling in our gut. Uh, and, and really what that boils down to is I really want to be a missionary. And so I'm going to start using this language of calling and therefore no one can penetrate that calling. No one can say that I shouldn't do that or I won't do that. Uh, because it's my calling, and how dare anybody kind of come in and speak against that? So we got the we got the term from uh, my brother Greg Gilbert, who I pastor with at Third Avenue Baptist. He's the senior pastor there, and he's really come in every six months to reaching and teaching for our orientations and help people think through this whole terminology. So, in the interest of of not plagiarizing, uh, as I talk about this this concept of of missionary assignment. 
uh, missionary calling. Uh, Greg has been just hugely influential to me and our org as we think through uh, really what that is. So when I think about uh, what is a missionary calling or what is an, a missionary assignment, we, we talk about it in a triad of three different things. Uh, there's the element of desire. And so we think that that's often what you, you hear when you hear someone say, I'm called to be a missionary. It really comes down to, I have a desire to be a missionary. There's an opportunity to, to, to serve overseas in a specific capacity. And then there's a gifting or uh, Bobby Jameson in his new book, The Path to Being a Pastor calls it ability. Uh, those are the three things that we're looking for. So do you have the desire? That's probably the easiest to interact with a potential missionary on. Do you have the opportunity? So is there something for you to do overseas? And do you have the gifting? So have, have you been affirmed in your gifting? And so happy to kind of spell out any of those a little bit further uh, as we describe them, but uh, that's really what we look at. So desire, Paul, um, again, that's an easy conversation. We, we don't think that people should go overseas if they don't have a desire to. So when you talk about Carrie as, as your high school girlfriend saying to you, I, I just don't see that, uh, we, she's really talking about her desire. I don't want to at this point in our life. Now, fast forward, we know that you served overseas together and the Lord changed her desires and that was great. But that's, that's one third of the equation. The next thing is, is opportunity. So when you think about opportunity, I could say that I, I'm called to be a, a gymnast on, on the Canadian national gymnastics team in 2024. Nobody on the Canadian gymnastics team is asking me to come and, and be a gymnast for them. Uh, that opportunity is not there. So I can talk about my desire all the time. And by the way, I don't desire to be a gymnast on the national team, but it, it, you'll, it'll make sense, the illustration in a, sec, in a second. So that's opportunity. So is there an opportunity to do it? And then the third thing is gifting. So am I gifted to do this? So I'm not gifted to, to be a gymnast. I could talk about the desire to be a gymnast. Someone may be crazy enough to ask me to come and try out for the Olympic team uh, for 2024 on the Canadian gymnast team. But I can't even do a somersault straight. So the gifting's not there. So when we're talking about missionary assignment, what we really want to know is, do you have the desire to be a missionary? Is there an opportunity for you to serve overseas? And have you been affirmed by your elders in your local church in your gifting? That's what we're looking for. Yeah, that's really helpful. I, it's funny, you know, I actually kind of lay some of that out even in, in my class when I talk with students at Southern uh, about this topic calling. Um, I, I didn't know that that was kind of Greg's categories, but some of the same categories that, that I will use to kind of describe it. So I think that's really helpful. Maybe let's drill down a little bit further on one of those elements would be the gifting side. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about, yeah, you know, how can we tell if somebody has that gifting or the ability, um, if they're competent in that area or not? Let's we, we understand the desire piece. We understand the opportunity piece. Maybe they know somebody in their church who says, hey, we need people to come join our team. We're ready to, for somebody to come. But the gifting one maybe is a little bit less clear. So maybe drill down a little bit on that and talk about some of the gifting side. Yeah. What I, what I always tell people when it comes to gifting is don't ask your mom or your dad if you're gifted. Uh, my mom is Irish. She thinks she thinks I can do anything I want. And so I don't look for gifting from the people who who love me and, and raised me and have unrealistic understandings of, of my, my limits. We always point people to their local church, specifically in the context of ministry, whether that's local pastoral ministry or over, overseas ministry. So the best people to affirm your gifting are the people that the Lord has, has given you as a local church body. So that's your elders. 
those are people who are in tightest two relationships with you. If I'm talking to younger people right now, I'm, I'm saying who in your life is mentoring you, who knows you, that, that has watched you grow and mature, uh, has seen a trajectory of your life for a period of time uh, where they can affirm where the Lord's gifted you. And so uh, when we think about the missionary task, we, we think about things like evangelism, uh, discipleship, aptitude to learn. So you have to learn culture and language. So you have to have an aptitude to learn. Uh, you can't be lazy in, in, in learning those things. We've got evangelism. So are you, are you an evangelist in your local church setting, in your local community? Are you known as someone who's sharing the gospel? Do you have the gift to, to be able to, to lay out what the gospel is? Um, discipleship. Are you discipling people in the context of your local church? So are you on the lookout for people that are, are younger and, and more immature in their faith that you can bring alongside of you and, and read the Bible together with? Uh, church planting. Uh, do you know what a local church is? Can you define what a local church is? Can you talk about its importance within someone's life? Uh, if, if you're going to be primarily involved in the proclamation of God's word, have you have you shared from God's word in your own congregation? Uh, are you afraid to public speak? Uh, is, there, is that something you're working through? Uh, do, do you have the, the right theological education to do what you're being sent overseas to do? So if, if I'm sending someone overseas uh, for a, a local church, if we're facilitating that, and that person's going to be in some type of pastoral role, uh, would, they, would they be deemed qualified to pastor within their own local church? Those are all things that the local church is best established uh, and, and in that person's life to be able to affirm. That's a good segue to the next question. You know, you've talked a lot about the local church and I appreciate that. I think the, the church is key in this conversation, uh, but would love for you to maybe spell out a little bit more. What role does the local church play in a missionary calling? You know, we live, uh, you and I live in the West, which is a pretty individualistic uh, culture and society. So we're used to making decisions on our own. We want to go here. We want to go there. We want to do this. We want to do that. We typically make those decisions on our own as individuals. But it seems like from the New Testament that the missionary call isn't just an individual decision. So maybe talk some about the role of the local church. Yeah, I think the best place for us to, to see how this plays out in a local church is in Acts chapter 13, where you see Barnabas and Paul being sent up. And it says, now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the, which, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I think that's just a beautiful picture of the fact that Barnabas and Saul weren't just sitting in Antioch at a, at a local cafe and saying, hey, you know what we should do? We should we should take this gospel from Antioch and take it to other places around the world. No, they were ministering within their local church. So they're, they're two of the five men that are mentioned as being active in their local church. And it's the Holy Spirit that's saying to the congregation, set apart for me these, these two men. This church would not have been surprised to see Barnabas and Saul being set apart. They would have seen their gifting up close. And to be honest, there would have been this, this pang of, of oh man, I'm really going to miss these guys, their ministry within our own local local congregation. Uh, we're seeing that in Acts 13. We're seeing the church come alongside, fast about this, pray and lay hands on these brothers, and then send them out. So I think that's such a great model. Uh, we, it's true. We're individualistic. We we go to conferences. We read books by ourselves. We, we, we have that desire uh, within the missionary call, if we're going to use that, that language. And 
and we, hey, I'm called, let's go. And it's, that's not what we see happen in Barnabas and Saul. It, it took years for, for Saul to finally be sent out from his local church. Mm, that's good. Now, let me throw you a little bit of a curveball. What if you have an individual, uh, maybe a young married couple, a family that says, you know, we really want to go and, and serve overseas. We have this desire. We have this passion. Maybe we even have an opportunity. Um, but for whatever reason, our local church, our pastors, our elders are saying, no, uh, we, we don't think you should go and do this. Um, or maybe now is not the time. Uh, what next? Uh, how should that um, young couple, that individual, how should they respond in those situations? Yeah, I, I, I think of the way that I would talk to myself 15, 20 years ago uh, as I'm thinking through these things. And if my church had said something like that, I would say to a young Ryan, stop and be patient uh, because that church obviously wants the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. They obviously would love to see God's glory declared amongst the nations. And they're, so they're not against missions. They're not against what the Lord is doing around the world. What they're saying to you is at this point, we don't see that you're ready. There could be a number of different factors in that. It could be your marriage. So you're newly married. Maybe we, you just need to go through a season of life here, learning what it's like to be married before you add all of the stresses of cross-cultural ministry. That could be a valid uh, piece of advice. It could be, hey, you need to slow down. Uh, we're seeing a massive amount of urgency, and we just don't see the preparation that we think is necessary. And so preparation takes time, and so you need to be patient. So I would say to a young person whose church is saying that to them, be patient, trust in the Lord. And if you really do feel like this is this is just a burden that the Lord has given you, pray for your pastors. Pray for wisdom for your pastors to, to discern how to walk with you through this. Uh, I, I don't have a specific percentage on this, but I, I think that it's very, very likely that 99, 99.5% of the people who, who get an initial no from their church, if they're patient, uh, that church would be very glad to affirm them as long as it doesn't come down to, to core issues of character. So if I'm a young man and, and I've got character issues, uh, if, I, if, if I'm struggling with, with sin just repeatedly, that just seems to, to have me in a bind and, and there's not a, a passionate pursuit for me to, to, to tackle, like let's say the sin of pornography, I really need to pay attention to my elders counsel and, and, really show that that I'm willing to fight sin in my own life before they make the investment of time and resources that are necessary to send me cross-culturally. Now, someone may be listening to this and say, hey, I've been patient. My church, they're still not letting me go. Like, the, how unfair is this? And, and what I would say to that is just remember that you covenanted to be a member of this local church and give yourself to the care of this congregation and to the shepherding of these elders. And that very same attitude that you had when you did become a member of that church, that needs to prevail. That body knows you, uh, they, they love you, and they want the best for you. And oftentimes when we see people kind of shortcut to, to kind of subvert the, the plans and the wishes and, and the advice of their local church, it turns into a disaster overseas. So I would say be very, very, very careful. Uh, if you're at a healthy local church with, with godly elders, um, just lean into them and, and, and trust them. Yeah, that's good. That's some wise counsel there. You know, Ryan, one of the things that's been encouraging to me over the last decade plus has been more local churches wanting to take ownership 
in the Great Commission process and in missionary sending. And at the same time, we know that sometimes when local churches and sending organizations are trying to partner together, that sometimes it can get a little bit messy. So I want to ask you a question as it relates to the role of the local church and the sending organization and the sent one, the missionary. How much input do you believe, you know, you're the president of a sending organization, you partner with churches. How much input should a local church, a sending church have in the following? You know, let's say how much input should they have in where a missionary goes in terms of geographical location? How much input should they have if a missionary decides to move from this location to that location? How much input should a local church have when a missionary decides to come home? Is that solely uh, an individual decision or is that a, a a church decision as well? So can you speak some to the role of the local church in where a missionary goes, when they move, when they decide to come home? Yeah, man, those are such great questions. Uh, I'm going to take uh, a little bit of Andy Johnson's words from his book, uh, Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global. He talks about how missions agencies exist to serve local churches. Uh, I wouldn't say that we're unbiblical, we're non-biblical. So when I look at the scriptures, I just don't see uh, the New Testament version of reaching and teaching out there. I see local churches involved in missions. Uh, and we don't have time to sparse out all the, the history and parse out all the history of, of missions, but agencies exist today to serve local churches. And Andy talks about how if the church is the bride, agencies can serve as the bridesmaid. Uh, very, I've never, ever, ever showed up to a wedding where a bridesmaid has made herself to be the main thing. Uh, she's always there caring for the needs of the bride and making much of the bride. And so the way that we think about this as an agency is we want to make much of the bride of Christ. So that's the capital C church. And it's also local churches that we, we get to serve. So what we try and do is even in our language, reaching and teaching does not send missionaries. We facilitate the sending of missionaries. And so what that means is when it comes down to where a missionary gets sent, I want that church to be making that decision. Now, oftentimes they'll come to us and say, we don't have a clue. We have someone who's super gifted. So we're going to affirm their gifting and we're going to affirm their desire, but we don't know of any opportunity that fits their skill set. Can you help us? And often what we do there, it's kind of like uh, when you think about real estate agents that bring a portfolio of houses in front of a potential client. That's what we're doing. We're putting a few different opportunities in different regions in the world that fit that person's skill set. And we want that church and that, that potential missionary to make that decision together. We're happy to serve them uh, together in that, but we, we're just not really comfortable being the decision maker in those, those discussions. The second thing is moving. Like, do we move from one field to another? Oftentimes that's going to, the, the people with the best information on the ground is going to be the missionary. So someone's been sent overseas, they're serving in a country or in a specific city. And for some reason, there's just, nothing happening. And there's an opportunity that they can go be a part of maybe 90 miles away. Well, oftentimes the default is for the missionary to make that decision or for the sending organization to, to just say, Hey, let's make this decision. We can do it quickly between the two of us. But again, if that local church has sent that missionary out, we want them to be involved in that conversation. So what, what I'm going to push on is, Hey, friends who's serving overseas, Talk to your local church. They've sent you out. They've supported you financially, uh, whether it's through the cooperative program, if you're part of something like that, or directly through an organization financially. They supported you financially. They, they have a lot to say, uh, and they should have a lot to say about where your specific ministry is. And then finally, coming home. 
Uh, what I want to encourage missionaries and, and sending churches in this conversation is to, is to have constant conversation. Churches understand that there are times when your missionaries are going to want to come home for a variety of different reasons. There are legitimate reasons, like a family illness that cannot be taken care of in the field and, and they've got to get home. And, and that's just something that they've des- decided that they want to do. And that's a, that's a good, wise decision. There's other times where they just they're in a period of culture and language acquisition where, frankly, they're dealing with culture stress and they don't like the people that they're living around. That's normal. It's normal to go through these pains of cross-cultural life. And so for churches to know that and be able to push back and say, no, you're going to have to keep going at it. We know that it's hard, but remember that desire that you had to go out there in the first place. That's a conversation that's best for that missionary and that sending church. Again, we are happy to facilitate the conversation. We're happy to, to use wisdom uh, and, and speak into a, a conversation if we can. But we really think that's a local church and missionary conversation. That's really good. I appreciate those responses. I, I want to move now to some just some lightning round questions and kind of get some, some quick thoughts uh, from you. The first one, and may, you may not be able to be too quick on this one, so it's fine if it takes a little bit of time, but... You know, one of the things we see as a trend, not only presently, but even some historically as well, is it seems like there are more single women willing to go and serve overseas than there are single men. So just love to hear from you. Why do more women seem to be called overseas than men? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I, I agree with you. It's something that we see. We just had an orientation and we had a number of single women in that orientation at Reaching and Teaching and there were no single men. And it's something that I think of often, but honestly, it's something that I think of often as a pastor of a, of a local church where I'm looking around going, man, there's a lot of great single women in this local church. And there's some really good, great single young men, but it's disproportionate in terms of size. So I think there's a cultural issue that's at, that, that's at hand today. Uh, but as you speak to the historicity of this, we, we see single women like Mary Slessor and Amy Carmichael heading out single. Uh, I, th- I think some of it is is just the, the Lord uh, in his wisdom. Lottie Moon's another one. How can I not mention Lottie Moon? Uh, how, how do uh, I, I think that there's an element of it where single women tend to be more available to the Lord uh, and and just have a, have a desire to to do something like this. They have heroes like Mary Slessor and Amy Carmichael and Lottie Moon that they can look to, and so it's it's just a viable thing. And if they can't find a young man with his act together uh, who who wants to marry them and 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 come alongside of them in this work, then they're happy to live their life as a, a single woman serving the Lord overseas. And I think that's an incredibly uh, godly pursuit. Uh, I think another element of it, though, Paul, is the fact that when we look at the the young men in our churches, uh, or even not coming to church anymore, sometimes uh, there's a laziness that exists, uh, where there's just not that hard work uh, attitude that needs to they need to have in order to to get qualified, so to speak, uh, or there's persistent sin. So I know that that men struggling with pornography uh, specifically is one of the biggest hurdles to to men uh, signing up to go overseas and cross cultural missions is because they're they're fighting the fight uh, for purity in their own lives, and so I think again cultural elements I think sin elements and I just think women just naturally have 
this predisposition, which is incredible of saying, this is what I desire to do. And uh, as, as much as I want to be married, uh, I'm not going to, to neglect what the Lord has given me the desire to do, uh, to basically wait around for a husband, so to speak. So I think that's maybe several reasons. Some people may push back on some of those, but from my vantage point, I would say those are the main reasons. Yeah, that's helpful. And and I just, I do, I want to celebrate. Uh, sometimes the conversation turns into, oh, you know, it seems like we're kind of dogging the men and not celebrating the women. I, I want to celebrate the women who are responding to to the call and who are expressing the desire to go. I read recently one historian of Southern Baptist Mission said, if we didn't have women uh, serving uh, with Southern Baptist Mission efforts around the world, we would probably have to cancel about half or more of what has been done uh, around the world. So I, I do want to celebrate that, but also be mindful of the fact that it does seem like there's this trend uh, for a lot of women to be responding and not as many men. And hopefully, Lord willing, uh, we can see some change in our churches that will result in some changes on the field. So good yeah. response. And there. I, would, I, would, I would say to any pastors that are listening to this, instead of us just kind of grumbling about the men, like let's, let's roll up our sleeves and invest. Uh, yeah. and our time and our yeah. our energy into discipling young men. Uh, wouldn't that be great if we were discipling young men in the context of our local church that that have a heart for the nations that end up marrying these godly women? Man, our our single women missionaries are incredible. And I'd love just to disciple young men to to be a worthy spouse uh, and leader of that family. So, yeah, I think that's good. I think as it as you talked about earlier, that opportunity piece, you know, maybe there's some guys who don't have the desire because they're not aware of the opportunity. And so maybe it takes a pastor or an elder or a college leader to come alongside and say, hey, why don't you jump on this short-term trip with me? Hey, have you considered praying for this unreached people group around the world? And that could create a desire of just hearing about the opportunity and the needs. So that's good. Yeah. And and we see each other in Louisville all the time around Southern's campus. Paul, there are some incredible young men that I'm just encouraged by my conversations over the last few years with them. Uh, these are young single men that uh, have a heart to go to the nations and are looking for, for certain opportunities to use their gifts overseas. And so I want to say as much as we've seen that trend, there's there's a part of me that's super hopeful based on recent conversations that maybe that trend is is going to reverse in the in the next few years. Amen. All right, the next uh, lightning round question: the most overrated component or element or factor in the missionary call discussion is blank. Desire. I think we put way too much weight on desire. Uh, I think our we our hearts can be deceitful. Uh, we have to fight our flesh. Uh, I've met way too many people who who their it's really their desire is defining their their calling, so to speak. And it's really they they've got a sense of of a desire to live overseas for a number of different reasons. So it's desire. Okay. The most underrated component element factor in the missionary call discussion is blank. Are you actually gifted to do it? So I'm again I'm going back to my triad, but like you, whether or not you're actually gifted to do what you're being sent overseas to do is we just don't talk about that enough. So look at character qualifications, look at actual spiritual competency, uh, look at Titus one, first Timothy three as a starting point. Okay. Yeah. So you may have an emotion, you may have a feeling, you may have a desire or a passion, but let's marry the desire and the passion with gifting and ability. Let's make sure those two things are held together. That's right. Is everyone called to go overseas? Yes or no? No, 
uh, no, not everybody's called to go overseas. Maybe that's controversial. I think everybody, every Christian should consider uh, going overseas and, and looking through that triad. I think every Christian must ask the question, does the Lord have it for me to go overseas? And if the answer is no, that's okay. We, we need people to be parts of healthy churches that send missionaries out as well. That's helpful. All right, Ryan, thank you for your time. This is the last question for you. What would you say to an individual or a young couple in their 20s wrestling with a desire and a passion to go overseas? What steps would you encourage them to take in pursuit of this desire and opportunity? Yeah, so if, if you have the desire to go overseas and you haven't yet talked to the leaders of your local church about it, you should do that. So go talk to your elders, let them know that you have this desire. They may already have ideas for you based on their observations. So have that conversation, pray, like take it to the Lord. Uh, if you're not praying through, am I called to go overseas or not? You're neglecting one of the most important two things. The other is being in God's word. So as I read God's word, and as I pray through God's word, um, my heart for the nation, nations only grows. And it, but it's tempered by really good theology about the local church. And so friends, be in your word, be, be in the word, uh, be in prayer, uh, take these things to the Lord uh, and talk to your elders about it. Those would be the first few steps. And if you need to, based on conversations with your elders, go get educated in a certain way, pursue that and pursue it with, without abandon, go after it, get qualified. Ryan, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.